Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now I'm absolutely thrilled to announce today's guest because it's not their first, not their second, but their third time of coming on Mark and Me podcast. They're my favourite vocalist in the whole world. He fronts my favourite band, Thrice. And not only that, I believe he's the best songwriter out there. I'm thrilled to announce that today's guest is the one and only Dustin Kensrue. We get to delve deep and talk all about their brand new album, Horizons East. For me, it's their best work in years. I absolutely adore it. And from start to finish, I think it's a complete masterpiece of an album. I think for the diehard fans out there, Thrice, it's got a bit of something for everyone and it hopefully will attract a whole new audience because honestly, it's an absolutely incredible album and you will not get bored of it. And I've listened to it every single day for the last few weeks and that's all I've listened to and I still can't get enough. What we normally do on Mark and Me is touch base and talk about the last episode. So I want to say a massive thank you for everyone that's listened to the interview with the amazing pianist, Riopi. The response was incredible. I've seen so many people message me, tweet me and Facebook me saying that they've gone and checked out his music and fallen in love with it. And that's the ultimate compliment that I can get. And hopefully if there's any new listeners today, they will listen to Thrice and do the exact same thing. I've had Dustin on this episode three times now and this interview for me is the best we've done. I really can't wait to share it with you so I think the best thing to do is get straight to it. So here's me and Dustin talking all things Thrice. So, Dustin, thanks for joining me again on the Mark and Me podcast. Yeah, so glad to be back, man. You are the second guest ever to have come on the podcast three times, so it really does mean a lot. Wow. Who's, who's the other one? Uh, Neil Blomkamp, the film director. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Obviously, a lot has changed since we last spoke. We were talking on tour and you were with Refused, sharing the stage when you were promoting your last album, Palms, and my god how much the world has changed since then yeah uh, yeah <laughs> how has it been with the whole lockdown and the covid stuff happening for a guy in a band that's probably feeling like they've been in prison for two years yeah uh, i mean we got pretty lucky in that we were like wrapping up our touring cycle like right when everything locked down um so thankfully we we're ready to go out right then but um yeah i mean not be able to tour is rough <laughs> financially for all the bands out there um and it was a little weird trying to be you know creative in the beginning to write another record you know the, i'm sure everyone felt that same thing where you know you're uh, in lockdown everyone's like yeah just you're gonna be super productive and you don't feel that way at all it's just feel weird and um so yeah it was a bit hard to get uh i think the creative ball rolling um for this new record but we definitely finally picked up momentum and went really well so with time scales and everything for the new album was it a case that it delayed or was it a case that you had to halt the production i know that obviously on this one like the days when you did beggars you built your own studio so it wasn't like you were waiting on another studio to have availability yeah but we were waiting on us to finish building the <laughs> studio so yeah um that was no, it's kind of down to the wire with a lot of stuff. Um, started a little later than we were planning because we were finishing up uh, some of the last minute stuff, building up the studio. So we had we'd already built the like uh, the room that makes it soundproof uh, and all that, but we hadn't done all the treatment to make it uh, able to be a like legitimate place to record stuff. So um, as we were finishing the writing, Ed was like finishing building all that. Our bass player, uh, he's great with woodworking and all sorts of stuff so he's building baffles and whatever you call all those things you hang on the walls to make it sound better what was it that kind of triggered it that you wanted to do it you kind of diy way with tepe at the desk and you guys all producing it yourselves obviously you did it for the alchemy index and beggars but what was it that made you this time think let's do that again let's strip it back and just us guys doing this i mean we always enjoy doing it that way uh we just haven't had a spot to do it <laughs> For a while and we also enjoy working with other producers and and kind of getting to learn from them and and have someone else have unique impact on the records yeah we had been you know in different practice spaces and you know just tiny spots where 
there's no soundproofing between you and the next place. Um, hard to load in. We had all our gear stored in a separate spot. It's just like, it was very inconvenient to be doing it as like a full-time band and having to deal with all this stuff. So we were really looking for a place to be like a headquarters where all our stuff is stored. We can practice here. We can record here. And so on the last record, we invested, you know, some of our money for the record into actually building out that space. And then this time around kind of finished it off. I know you guys have been in a band for over two decades and, you know, you must be a tight unit because otherwise you would have lost members and, you know, done the whole rock and roll thing of firing people in the band. But you guys have always stuck together and you seem like a really tight family and unit. Now, when it comes to recording in the studio, surely that must test your patience and as a unit, I just can't imagine so much creativity not causing at times like, look, I need to just be on my own or is there friction? Is there tension? Or is it actually, you've done it so often now, you just know what to do. No, I, I think there's definitely like when we tour and stuff, there's generally no tension or drama anymore. Um, but in the studio, it, it definitely can be tense because we're all uh, a very democratic process as we write. And so there's things that you want to hold on to and I think are really important and no one else is seeing it. Uh, so that stuff can be frustrating and uh, fairly tense at times, but never, I don't know. It's never like a, a super negative, toxic kind of situation. It's just like, you know, everyone has to figure out how to work through that. And I think over time you, you begin to trust, uh, you know, everyone more and realize, you know, if you're the only one seeing it in a certain way, like probably not worth holding on to, you know? Uh, most of the time those ideas that you're like so set about you can't remember them two months later so. yeah and with horizons east um as this interview goes out the album will be out so i don't want to talk about it as if you know people aren't going to hear it so luckily this is out now and people are listening to it for me it's kind of an album for me and i mean this in the most respectful way it's like a best of it's got all the elements of thrice that i fell in love with so you've got the rock mm -hmm. element of the early days you've got the experimental stuff you've got stuff like the alchemy index we got the piano and the soft synths and everything else but it's got like a collective mix of everything that made you fall in love with thrice originally and do you think that's a fair point yeah i can definitely see that um i don't think it was necessarily an intention but um i don't know it's got a it's got like a breadth to it um, yeah yeah i mean there's some like screaming on there which we haven't had like that you know, kind of intense kind of screaming in a while. I mean, not a lot, but uh, I could see that being kind of feeling like a throwback to some stuff. Um, yeah, and, and that might just be like, you know, sometimes you're trying to push away from something you've done before to be like, no, no, I can do something else. Then if you get enough space from something, it doesn't feel like you have to push away from it as much anymore, maybe. Um, and so that might be why it feels eclectic is there's some kind of innate comfortability with revisiting certain things but uh yeah i don't think a lot of that was super conscious and the thing is it's like a natural progression from palms it's you know the thing that make Fry's my favorite band is that you evolve you don't just stick with one formula and know that even though you could do that and keep selling the same album of material again and again which some bands live off for 20 30 years but you guys aren't the same band that you were 20 years ago. And I love the fact that you always try new ideas and it's, it's a, it is a breath of fresh air to never know what to expect from the next album. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we would, we would die of boredom if we tried to do uh, the same thing again. So it, it's definitely always about finding what seems interesting to us at the time um, and pushing ourselves to do things we haven't done before or do combine things in a way we haven't before. Um, yeah, so it, it, the process of like whittling down everything is, it's hard because we have so many different ideas, you know, we'll start with over probably a hundred ideas about all of us putting, you know, stuff in the pot and then trying to figure out where do we go from here? And it's generally someone, you know, something else that someone has done has sparked your interest. You're like, oh, let me, let me see that. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to play with it a little bit. And then that sparks someone else. And, and it's the ones that seem to like, uh, they almost pull like they have a gravity that pulls the band around them. Uh, not necessarily every member all the time, but at least, you know, two or three people start to gravitate towards something and contribute to it. And uh, yeah, it just picks up steam. Let's just like talk about the album itself. So for me, I think it's your most experimental album. It's got so much dynamics. It's got so much diversity. It's got 
piano and jazz stuff different time changes and signatures for me it's like the most ambitious album you've done for me that's what i think as a listener now when the album starts and you've got colors of the sky i think the way that electronical sound starts and you're like okay i don't know what to expect here you've got that drum loop coming in and then the vocal that you produce on this album for me captures you at the best you've ever sounded I know it's hard when I'm talking to you because I'm talking about you to you and you must be thinking, oh, all right, okay, okay. But it's true. Um, you've never sounded as good as you have on this record. It's got that raw sound where I can hear every bit of your throat and every bit of your vocal. But it's just captured you at your best. And have you tried different things? Because it, for me, throughout the album, we'll talk about it in a moment with different tracks, but it feels like you've tried new vocal ideas. There's been some more whispered sounds there's more different ways you're pronouncing words in a rockier way but it just sounds like you've tried new ideas hmm. uh thank you uh i think they turned out really well but i it was not i had like a throat issue like really early on in the recording but we didn't have time to stop so it was not fun to record the vocals because it was just a challenge the whole time uh so sometimes it's really fun to sing and it's like oh yeah my voice does what i want it to and uh this one was like wrestling it to to get there kind of each day on different stuff and really trying to figure out all right which part do we record first because you know it's going to start hurting your voice and then we're going to blow it out and we can't do anything so it was a rough one uh but i do think it probably is <laughs> In the end, it comes across uh, sounding the best vocally that I've done in any of the right stuff. So I think part of that is um, the way we recorded and mixed it, where one, we're always looking for, I think, the kind of vibey take instead of the perfect take. You know? And and so maybe I wasn't hitting everything perfect, but you know, my voice cracked weird on this one part and it was okay, that's interesting, that's, you know, real, that's human, to so keep that part. Um, and then I also think I really have made an effort over the past couple of years to try to both write lyrics that are already kind of telling the story that the song is trying to tell uh, as it's coming together, and then also trying to find vocals and sing them and capture them in a way that uh, embodies both of those things. And so I think if you like it's not like i'm like setting out to let me sing in a bunch of different ways or try new things it's more like really trying to follow i think where it's going so maybe like robot soft exorcism on the record is a good example of, there's a bunch of different um vocal approaches on that song and, and dynamics and uh that and it's really just about following where each part was going if that makes sense um yeah I mean, I'm not an engineer and I'm not a producer and I don't know all the elements that make up the songs, but it sounds, especially when you just mentioned ro Robot Soft Exorcism, isn't it? Not the easiest one to pronounce, but that does sound very layered up on the choruses and there's lots of different stuff going on with lower and then you've got the higher pitch vocals over the top and you've layered it up and that doesn't sound like other stuff I've heard from Fryce. You've definitely got, it definitely, it just has a different impact on me when I'm listening to it. I've got my headphones in, I'm really listening to the way you sing and you said that maybe you weren't feeling very well and you were struggling, but... I think it's captured that rawness and the actual, like you said, the performance instead of just you guys sitting there and polishing it and using different effects to try and cover it. I like the fact it sounds like a live performance. Yeah, uh, I think sometimes in the mixing process, some of that gets lost a little bit as you know a, a mixer's trying to make it sound big or really present. Um, and so some things happen to it. Like I, I heard a song off to be everywhere the other day and it sounds like really strong and um, I don't know, it sounds powerful, but it also doesn't have the qualities that you're talking about, you know? Uh, and I, I think we lean towards that stuff and it was helpful to work with, um, Scott Evans, who's a friend, um, who ended up mixing the record and it was almost like having another band member mix the record where the way he's approaching it is very similar to the way we're approaching it. We're able to communicate with him a lot. And so it felt like we got to the end and they were like, all right, Scott, like, here's the thing. And he saw it and got it and was very receptive to the small things that we ended up being like, oh, no, no, like, we want this part like this. He's like, oh, cool, totally. And uh, it just, it definitely is like the, like when we got back the mixes, I think 
probably more than any other record we ever had, we felt like this is what we tried to make. You know, this is it. Like it's not something new. And sometimes that something new is really cool and interesting. But it's like, this is actually like very faithfully just bringing together everything we've done in the same spirit in which we've done it. So. And being so hands-on and being there with the rest of the guys in the studio, in your own studio, and kind of not having that big studio coming down every five minutes saying, let me hear it, is it radio-friendly enough, is it this, is it that? That must be so refreshing, but at the same time, how do you kind of be so strict upon yourself as a band to say, that's the line, that that song is now finished, we've got to move on, because otherwise you could sit there and keep trying ideas, and is there a point where you have to be really strict? Uh, well, we're always pushing up against deadlines, so that helps in that regard. Yeah, it's just, it, I think it hits a point where um, you've got to lay it down. And it, I mean, I, yeah, if we had infinite time, it, that would probably be difficult. Um, but it always seems to be kind of nipping at our heels. So that's probably helpful for us. And what I really noticed, especially when you released the first single, single Scavengers, is that the album is quite bass heavy. Uh, Ed's obviously got quite a pinnacle role where you're hearing a lot more. So even with Colors of Sky, Scavengers and Buried in the Sun, all three tracks are very bass heavy to start with in the mix. And it sounds really fat. You know, you've got that instant oomph. But I think where we've had like Major Minor and the other albums in the past, it's been a lot more guitar focused. You can hear a lot more of the depth with Ed's bass. Was that something you tried to do? Or was it just because that's the way the songs went? Uh, I mean, Ed always, he's a great player, but he also had, like finds ridiculously uh, great bass tones. And I think, honestly, a lot of that comes back to, so he, he got great tones Tepe captured those well and then I think Scott really did a great job on the mix with them um and I I think that probably reflects more how um our buddy Mike mixes us live too um it's it's a huge part of the sound and I I, I it's it's interesting because you know I was working on uh the record for so long that you know you lose some perspective and then when people heard scavengers like instantly everybody was like Oh man, the bass tone! Like, uh, so like it's like at that point I wasn't hearing it, you know, in that way anymore. But it was it was cool to see uh, how much that's been something people have noticed. It had that kind of impact when I first heard Yellow Belly. You know, it just gets you straight away. You've got that guitar and bass together, and it's just so big in the mix. It's so heavy that you can't ignore it. It just gets you from the chest straight away. If that makes sense, you just listen. It's it's grabbed you straight away, and I, that's why I was so blown away by your first single from the album I was like yes give me more now you know it's like this is incredible but then you guys chose to obviously release Robot Soft Exism which is very different um, you know and you must have been online reading everyone in the whole world saying they're trying to be Radiohead this sounds very Radiohead influence what do you think about all that uh, I mean it's definitely like there's no way I think that you could deny that it has a Radiohead influence um we are huge fans of that band and collectively I think it's our favorite band um, of the four of us. And there's a lot of, there's a decent amount of music that we all love together, but we all, you know, have very different tastes as well. Um, Radio has a huge influence. And the funny thing about it that I realized was it was kind of a window into the way that nobody hears music or experiences art the same way as anyone else. So like so much of what you bring to a situation is what you get out of it. Um, and so I've, I've been using the analogy of like, if you see a painting, like say I walk into a museum and I see a, uh, a painting and I don't know anything about it, who made it, when they made it. And I'm looking at it and I, I, I can enjoy it and I can, kind of think about it and dissect it based on the paintings I've seen and the different, you know, whatever, my, my life experience. But the curator there, he knows uh, who painted it and what year and in what art movement and what that painter's previous paintings looked like. And so when he looks at that painting, he has a different experience, even though we're looking at the exact same piece of art. And I think music is very similar to where you hear something and you your brain is automatically comparing it to everything that you've ever heard. And that's part of your experience as you hear it. And so watching everyone talk about the Radiohead influence in the song was funny because yes, you can say like, 
okay, there's like arpeggiated guitar and there's kind of an interesting like electro beat and maybe some like uh, drawn out vocals or something. That's, that's a, those are the things that I could make me think it feels that way. Um, but everybody was saying a different Radiohead song or a different album. Like, so I, I saw literally everything, you know, from OK Computer to like probably almost the newest record, like being yeah. like, oh, it's just, it's like, just like this or just like this song. Uh, and it's not really like any of those songs, but I, but I, at the same time, I understand where they're coming from, but everyone referenced it to their own, the, the, the thing that's like probably most that, that they've listened to the most or like connected to the most. And, um, so there's something interesting going on when people hear music. And I, I think it's part of why you can't always just show someone something They're like, Hey, like, do you, do you get this? Do you see it? And they'll be like, I don't know, man. Like they, they just don't have the context to, to love it the same way that you do sometimes. And, uh, I mean, obviously different tastes, but that's all wrapped up, I think, in what I'm talking about too. I mean, it's a hell of a compliment anyway, even getting compared to stuff like Kid A and stuff, which is just an absolute masterpiece of an album. But all I thought was just the drum sample at the start and just the way the arpeggio guitar plays. It just reminded me of something off something like OK Computer. But the way you sang the chorus is nothing like Tom York. You know, the rest of the music doesn't sound like Radiohead to me. It's just got elements. So you think, oh, that sounds a bit like Radiohead. But that's a hell of a pat on the back, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't mind. Um, I mean, it's. If we were like ripping off a specific song, that, that would be a bummer. But uh, it, it definitely isn't. I mean, it, tying into that same idea, like for Scavengers, it started off uh, the demo. We always, you know, you just name the demo on like it sounds like vaguely reminds you of something that you've heard, right? Yeah. So like, oh, it's the whatever part. And there's a band we all like called The Color Revolt. And when I wrote the original like verse five, which is very similar to how it is in the record. Uh, for that, I called it Revolt um, because it kind of reminded me of Color Revolt. And we were making a, a playlist of stuff that maybe influenced the record or felt like it was aligned with that. And so I went looking for like the Color Revolt song that I was sure this was like kind of similar to. And I went through everything. I was like, there's nothing that sounds remotely like this song, but somehow it still communicates to me this Color Revolt vibe. Um, which is so interesting. Like I, it, it, sometimes that stuff is like, it's so visceral, but it's very, very hard to actually nail down in a, uh, a neat, tidy way. And then following on literally when I'm looking at the album at the moment, it, it's incredible how dynamic it is and how much variety is on there and stuff like yeah. the dreamer for me is one of the best choruses you've ever written. It's in my head for the rest of the day. As soon as I listen to that song, even though I've listened to 10 tracks on the album, that's one that always stays in my head. I bet you can't wait to start playing these songs live and seeing the crowd reactions. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, that song is one of those ones where, yeah, that, I think that melody, I, I made it over one of the earlier demos and then we were like, I don't know, it doesn't start like high, maybe we should like change it. And we went through a couple of versions and then finally we're all like, no, nah, no, nah, the first one was good, man. <laughs> Go back. Um, but sometimes, yeah, it just has something and you can't figure out why. Um, but yeah, playing live, uh, we're really excited to get out there. It's, I was a little worried it wasn't going to happen. It seems like it's going to happen. Um, uh, but I always say, like, I feel like the creative process isn't really finished until you like share it in a live setting uh and even for us like the songs continue to evolve as we play them um so there's something about like leaving it just on the record and never never bring it to the stage uh feels a little incomplete yeah and do you think when you're writing this album listening back and mixing it you know that you're comfortable that you can then take it to the stage because sometimes you can see a band and they do so much in the studio and do so many different layers on the guitar and all this that you go and see them and it's like oh hang on this sounds nothing like the record one thing i love about you guys is when i bought palms and beggars and all the other stuff when i go and see you live it's okay that's the song that i heard on the way here that's the song i've been listening to are you comfortable with stuff when you know you've got quite a lot going on on this album especially with stuff like dandelion wine and northern lights with the jazz and the piano pits are you comfortable that this can all be, you know, pulled off live? Yeah, um, there's always a challenge in figuring out how to do you know, some of them. And some, sometimes it's the ones that you wouldn't expect. Um, like I think right now the weirder one is 
buried in the sun, even though it's so stripped down in a lot of ways, like, uh, like there's the, the huge vocals on the chorus and something that we don't do just out of kind of a <laughs> principle thing, just cause it can feel lame when we've seen it done live is, is like having background vocals uh, yeah. on tracks. And so trying to do that part, we're all singing it. It's definitely going to sound a little different, but hopefully everyone's singing along with the crowd. But it's also just really weird stuff to be playing while singing. Because like the guitar and the bass part are both kind of these weird slinky things. And the the way that the the words go over the top of it is very odd to play and sing at the same time. So that's been one of like the tougher ones for everyone to just like keep doing it and your brain starts to separate the two. Um, but then like, yeah, there's stuff like, uh, I think we've, we've just learned how to make use of like the smallest amount of like samples and stuff that we need to make it work without having it be this, you know, giant thing playing behind us and we're pantomiming over it. Um, I mean, it worked well, didn't it, on the Palms tour, stuff like Only Us and stuff where you've got that synth at the start and that kind of electric sound. You had enough going on that you could still all be playing along and it not be that you've got this... I, I can't imagine anything worse than when I go and see bands and they've got this backing track all the way through and it's like, oh, this just sounds a bit like they're playing along to like a karaoke track. There's, I just don't... I don't enjoy it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so we just try... Yeah, I think doing the least amount of that is possible. And so sometimes we'll even have something where one of us will be playing a part when we're not playing something else. And then it, the track takes over when we have to switch to another instrument or something. And it just kind of sits behind it's, I, I think it's generally done in a way that's not distracting or noticeable or, yeah. Are you going to be trying to pull off playing the final track on the album unit of East? Is that going to be one that you are comfortable enough to play live or are you just going to leave that as a album only? Um, I've thought about ways to play it live. Here's the thing about that song. It it came out of a like very conceptual idea I had where uh, it's called Unitive because it's trying to illustrate the way that everything in the world is, uh, while it is also many separate things, it's all one thing together. Everything's connected. Um, and so it basically just starts off with this pulsing one and then it adds a one, two, and then it adds another one, two, three, and they start layering. And so they're moving in, uh, essentially different time signatures because like there's say you have like two seconds that that one holds. Now I'm going to put two notes to fill that two seconds. Now I'm going to put three notes and it starts layering up all the way to 11, just cause that's fun. Cause it's our 11th record. Um, but that's what's happening and then it slowly peels those away so it would be really hard to do live you'd have to have um like separate clicks going to different people's ears because to play some of the off ones like the five and the uh, 11 like they're it would be it's probably possible but it would be really hard to get it to sound right um without hearing a separate time to keep um that, that everyone else was keeping so uh we could also do it with some some of that stuff being sampled maybe and playing other parts of it that could be interesting but yeah and you are about to embark on a tour at the moment are we looking at any hopeful uk dates or is it too kind of in the air with covid open at the moment to try and risk doing that we'll be over for 2000 trees next year at least but we're also planning on doing like a full uh, run, I think later in the year, but uh, it's not in stone yet. So, no. but we're definitely we're working on it. And how excited are you for Two Thousand Trees, knowing that you know you had this headline slot two years ago, <laughs> then last year it got put off again. You know, I had tickets, I couldn't wait. All my friends were coming. We were so excited to hear the album in its entirety as well for the anniversary and everything else. And obviously COVID has meant that you've now had to wait two years to come back and do that. You must be absolutely over the moon that fingers crossed it's all going to happen next year and you get to headline that festival, which is such a great, great festival here in the UK. Yeah, I mean, we're just excited to play it. I kind of keep forgetting that we're headlining it. Um, but yeah, we it was really fun doing uh, the VC tour. So 
it'll be kind of uh, a fun little thing to jump back into uh, to play over there. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't take uh, too much <laughs> time to get back in that. I was going to say, you're going to have to learn that whole album again, aren't you? And get all Base, into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just tell them you want to just do the new album instead. I'm sure they can't really change much now. Uh, we'll be fine. And with the future, obviously, is it true that you've recorded enough songs to release another album off the back of this? Or is it going to be like the last album where there's an EP that follows Palms? Or have you got enough material to, to kind of do like a, I suppose, would it be like, a, it's not going to be like the northeast southwest i take it is it like a two-parter or something like that there will be a horizons west uh that will be a companion piece to this one oh. and it will be definitely i don't know exactly when it will come out but definitely shorter than a normal record cycle um, yeah and uh it's not fully finished but there's basically a lot of the record is there uh some of it's recorded a lot of it's written um so that will be maybe late next year, maybe early 2023. I'm not sure, but some somewhere around there. Um, so we're really, really excited because basically there was a lot of ideas that we didn't have time or space to get them all on this, but there were things that we felt strongly about and wanted to pursue. So uh, we thought it'd be fun to have it be these two records that are linked in a lot of ways linked in the time period that we're writing them um but i think separating them and finishing this one out after um east is already out will be interesting uh and definitely something we've never done before where you're still working on a connected project but you also have part of it done and so you're then going to be reacting in certain ways to that other one and and um i think theme wise too there's a lot of dawn stuff happening uh on the east one obviously and and it will be a little more kind of sunset and some maybe heavier uh mortality related topics on the other one i don't know how to put that but i like the whole kind of going into the west and all that i think uh will play a part in the way i interpret uh some of those themes and was that kind of something that evolved while recording East? Was it a case of, God, we've got too many ideas here. We can't do like a Smashing Pumpkins and do 20 songs on an album. Are you kind of thinking, let's break this down? Or was it a case of not being able to let go of tracks and then putting this whole East and West kind of connection to it? How, how did it become about? Because that's, you know, the people that are listening right now, I know are going to be like, oh my God, another Frice album. And all I'm going to see on Facebook and Twitter is when, when, when's it coming out, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a mix of those things. It's We like shorter records. Like, I think 10 songs-ish is a great length for a record. Like, there's something digestible about it. Like, you don't get to the end and kind of forget where you started. Um, and, you know, so you could always do 20 songs. But I feel like as a listener, I start to get lost in that. Um, and which is why we did the EP last time instead of just putting out a 14 song record. Um, and this time we were like, man, we don't want to do an EP. Like we have enough ideas to do two records. Like let's just do two records and uh, try something. Don't leave it too long. Cause you know, everyone out there, once they've seen you play these songs live, I just going to want to hear that follow up. Yeah, it won't be, it won't be too long. We'll be working on it when we get well on this tour and when we get home from it. And last time we spoke, obviously you were podcasting yourself with Carry the Fire and I was a Patreon, I got my nice badge, I loved what you were doing, but then you obviously had to call a day on that for the fact that you were recording this album and had all the other responsibilities that came with it. Is that something you want to kind of revisit when you've calmed down and not touring and you've finished this album cycle? Uh, I just actually announced to my patrons yesterday that I'm not coming back to it in the foreseeable future, uh, mostly... Two reasons like one i feel like right now like i've really accomplished a lot of what i wanted to in doing it um and i could add to it but i it wouldn't change like the bigger picture for me uh and i think even for listeners like it wouldn't it would just it would be more things that would be cool but i think if you listen to through what's there the general approach and ideas and way of having these conversations and looking at the world i, I think will uh, be established. Um, and then the main reason really is just time-wise. It's super time intensive for me, um, which was fine, but I 
really want to make more music and uh thrice i have solo stuff i want to do i have three or four other side projects that i always want to try to do and never have time to do so i really want to focus on trying to get more music out there and yeah so it, at some point i very well may get the bug again to start podcasting again and um we'll see i think there would be some kind of shift in in what i was doing maybe not it might just be time and and wanting to reapproach it uh, as the world kind of shifts under us and uh yeah but i don't know I mean, you just mentioned then about trying to finish some other projects. When I last spoke to you, you were working on a project, or you were about to, with your brother. Is that right? And you were looking at some ideas. Has anything happened since we last spoke, or is it something that's kind of put on the shelf for now? Um, yeah, that's one that's like, I mean, it's actually whatever I look at it, it's pretty far along. Um, we just need to get our shit together and finish it. But yeah, it's I mean, we're we're in in different spots of how much time we have to work on at any given time so it makes it difficult when it's um, you know not the main thing for either of us uh, one person can't just power through it so that's one idea i have solo stuff i want to do i have um just like a i don't know how to describe it because it shifts all the time i had there's a bunch of ideas that are range from being influenced by like a lot of the punk stuff i grew up with to like a lot of power pop kind of stuff um so it would basically be really fun energetic catchy stuff um that really w wouldn't have much of a place on a thrice record but uh the stuff that i'd i'd be stoked on um yeah i really want so another there's... solo album i really want to hear another solo album from you and then you go out and do that whole acoustic tour again because when i saw you in birmingham and every venue is so intimate and the way you played those songs and you could hear the rawness of your vocals and just the strip back of the acoustic. It works so, so well. And I love that intimacy of the music and I'd love to see that happen again. I know it's not easy as just writing another album, recording it and going out on tour while you got thrice, but that was a special moment I'd love to see again. Yeah, that would be great. I, it, and it ends up being so long in between records. Like I, I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, that was like the last actual solo record when carry the fire came out it was probably 2014 i mean almost 10 years ago getting there <laughs> you're trying to be um tool aren't you is releasing an album in like 15 years time or something yeah it's just like it's so hard to find the time in between and, and not only to record it but to like put it out and actually yeah. try to play around it so I asked a couple of my close friends that are massive Thrice fans um, for a couple of questions because I know how much it means to them. And one of my close friends, Jana, has asked, what is your favorite song to play live? Um, I think right now it would probably be Beyond the Fines. Uh, oh, lovely. Because I, I love that song in general and it's... Um, it seems to be maybe the one that resonated most with people on the last record and uh, especially live. It's just kind of a special thing. Everyone's singing that together. Yeah. Uh, another friend of mine, Perry, was asking as well about a anniversary edition for 10 years of Major Minor. And was there going to be like a re-release of vinyl or a celebration of this album? Because obviously we're now in the 10th year of this release. I was under the impression that there was one coming out this year. Uh, I also know Vagrant was doing like 25th anniversary repressings, so I don't know if those became one thing or there's two. Um, that's gonna be a nice yeah, tease. Yeah, it does seem late in the year. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. There's uh, a lot I, of there's a lot of rumors on the Facebook groups and stuff that a box set's on its way. I don't know how true that is, but I think because people are trying to get the early vinyls and having to pay silly money there's people been talking about maybe a box set coming out or something that's going to be a new way of getting your music at a normal price on vinyl hmm uh i do know vagrant was doing the represses of their stuff um, yeah but i don't know of any larger box set kind of thing no and sitting here now while the album's finished how does it feel kind of on the verge of people about to hear this album. Are you nervous? Are you kind of looking forward to people's reactions? Because people just never know what to expect. And the singles are so different. It's kind of, no one knows what the rest of the album's going to be like. And I love reading the Facebook groups and the forums and stuff. Or do you kind of 
kind of hide away from or not read all the feedback and what people are saying and anticipating? Uh, I I dip my my toe in the water, you know, and <laughs> see because it, it's exciting. Because um, that's you know sharing the music is part of uh, why you're making it, a uh, large part of it. So, uh, but it's also it's different than like talking to uh, like a friend about it or something like online. I think a lot of people are trying to like this. There's such a feeling of people trying to like prove their knowledge or their mastery of something and like it's, oh well it's this is like this and obviously because of this you're like okay real <laughs> like that has nothing to do with why we were doing xyz but um again people come with their own uh, interpretations so uh, it is exciting to see people's reactions and there's been i i think a lot of um really people have been really excited about the songs we put out so i it's exciting for us to release them. Uh, they'll be, yeah, by the time people hear this, they'll have heard, the record will be out by the time people hear this? Yep, we're going to release it the All same right. weekend as the album. Cool. So, I mean, they'll have heard another song then at that point and then the whole record. Uh, I'm, I think I'm most excited for people to hear it in the context of the way it's laid out in the record, especially starting with The Color of the Sky, um, which we were talking about Kid A earlier and that was something that I ended up referencing when we were trying to talk about the song order um, and figure out the track listing. And I, I heard some songs of today in my car, but they were shuffling. And so it wasn't playing in order. And I realized that some of the later songs on the record, they feel like they could have been on a different Radiohead album. Um, But when you hear them after the first two songs on that, thing it kind of just gives a vibe to the rest of the record and so you hear it all in that context of like oh we're coming from this kind of electronic uh these interesting warm subdued tones and uh and so as we were talking about in this studio we realized like oh we're starting with the wrong song that's like that's a really interesting idea like let's start it with the color of the sky and really like set this mood for the whole record um so I think that was one of the best decisions we made. It's my, it's hard because I get quoted. I've said stuff about palms and I've seen people tweet me saying, you said these exact words, but for me, it's my favorite opening to any of your albums. Um, I think it just it is a bit like the Radiohead, everything in the right place. It just sets it up for the rest of the experience. And I, I've said it already on this interview, the way it captures your vocal towards the end, you never know from those opening bars of the sort of synthy sound, the electrical sound, where that song is going to take you. And three minutes later, you're singing this chorus that could be sang in a stadium. It's it's unbelievable, dude. It's absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait. I, I want to tell people, but I, you know, there's a in exile group on Facebook and stuff, and I don't want to go on there and ruin the experience. And I'm like, just wait. You know, you've got three weeks. Just wait because it's it's worth it. Yeah, man. Thanks. I I. Uh... I'm really happy with how that one turned out, especially and just the way that it builds. Like I love that it's building and then you're waiting for something to come in and then it's not guitars, it's just the drums and the bass. Then you wait more for the guitars and then it keeps building and stepping up. Uh, it's fun. Was there a, a message that you wanted to try and get across with this album? Obviously with all bands, each song's got a different thing, but was there something you were trying to capture? Was it the, the whole COVID and the being restricted and now being released? Or was there something as a message you tried to get out as a songwriter for this one? Uh, I think that first song, The Color of the Sky, is, is a bit of a mini picture of what a lot of the record is talking about, which is... Uh, this idea so in that song there's you know someone in a literal walled kind of city that's cut off from the rest of the world and they want to go out and they want to break out of it and they find a way out and they see this new horizon that they've never seen uh, and they realize that as they move the horizon shifts too and there's more and more new experiences new data to take in um, new things to incorporate into their life and um, so that's a picture of this idea of what that horizons idea as a whole is getting at where uh, we get stuck in these ways of thinking that are and thinking and seeing and perceiving that are closed off and shutting out so much of what's in front of us in any given moment. And it's, it's not like you um, can just 
be done with that <laughs> that process like we're always kind of reforming those those shells and and i think it's a it's a journey to keep breaking out of them to keep um to your mind open uh to possibilities and I wish you could do an audio commentary for each track because it just is incredible. And I find it fascinating. When you're saying it, I then can start picturing like a graphic novel or a, a short film and stuff. It just blows my mind. And is that something you could ever imagine doing? Would you like to, to kind of get involved in short films or directing? Or is it something you just like, I haven't got the time? You know, that's that's for another lifetime. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, there's a lot of ideas that seem interesting to me. And then I try to think about like how on earth would I ever have time to get into those things. It's, it's hard. Um, uh, cause you look at something, especially it's like a person who does something creative for a living. You're like, I also, I could be creative about that, about that. But like, I also don't have the, like people who are really great at something spend a lot of time doing it. Um, and there's something to be said for that. Like, maybe it's um, a better payoff for me and for listeners to like do the thing that I've spent a lot of time doing. Uh, And it's not to say you can't branch out, but especially something like film or something, that's like, there's a lot going on there. Um, At the same time, film is also like a very much a a team thing. Like there's so many people working together. And so if you can work with the right people and maybe uh, I did write the treatment for uh, the scavengers video that we put out, uh, which was fun. And, uh, can see that kind of come to life. Um, I love the whole concept waited. of that video and getting the fans involved and the whole masks and everything. It looked awesome. It looked so well shot. I was like, this could be a film. Yeah, it, it turned out fantastic. So that's a good example of like, it's fun to be involved creatively with that, but, uh, actually, you know, shooting it and all that is <laughs> all the work involved and all the other <laughs> yeah. stuff. Nah. I, I mean, I couldn't believe how many people were at that house that day. It was, there were so many people. I mean, there's a lot of extras, but also just a ton of crew doing all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. What we did on the last episode, and it was a long time ago, is what we try and do to make the episode a bit different is you choose the outro music. And when we were sat in Birmingham backstage, we had Refuse playing their sound check. And I asked you on the spot what you wanted to choose as your outro music. You probably don't remember this moment, but we were sat there and you showed me on your phone, Bonivere, um, Haymar. And that was your choice for the outro music for that episode. And since then, I went and bought the album. And I'm like, fucking hell, he's incredible. And we're going to see him next year. So it's like, that's changed my life. But um, let's switch it again. So this is your third episode. So you have a whole new choice. What would you love to be an outro song for this episode where maybe you're listening to him at the moment? Maybe it's someone different you want to introduce to the listeners out there. Or is this something that means a lot to you? I love asking bands on the spot because there's so much choice and it's never easy. I ask film directors, I ask actors, I ask producers, but bands and musicians always are like, can I get back to you? Or there's 10 songs I want to use, but I like to go with the one that came to your heart when I ask you. Yeah. um, Okay. Then it's going to be... So I don't know if we talked about Talk Talk at all. Um, But... They were a kind of pop band in the 80s. Yeah. Um, new Wave, whatever. Um, but their last two records are these beautiful six-song records, uh, Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock. And the, they're huge um, records for Thrice. I think, I don't know, it's... I would say this song called Merman, which is spelled um, M-Y-R-R-H-M-A-N. And it's the first song on uh, Laughingstock. But it, people are going to have to be patient because it, st- it starts slow. It's just, you can just hear like the amp um, with some tremolo like going for a couple seconds and then it starts to pick up. But it's, they're beautiful records, um, very unique. And uh, yeah, if I could get someone else into it, uh, that'd be cool. Don't worry, I had a director on a couple of weeks ago that picked a B-side from Yoko Ono that was 16 minutes long, and I was like, God, you're testing my audience right now. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any other good bands at the moment you recommend? I I, I remember people raving at the fact that you got to give some shout-out to some bands. Is there some records that people should be listening to right now? 
I mean, Bon Iver, or however you pronounce it, Bon Iver, or however you say it, that album for me was probably my album of the year, so I love the fact that you gave that to me. Did you go back and listen to the other stuff? All of it, all of it. It's incredible. Uh, Well, uh, speaking of Justin Vernon, then he just, uh, he's got another project called Big Red Machine, and they just put out a record um, that is great. Um, I think I always throw out... um, Cloud Nothings. Um, I don't know. They they bring me a lot of joy, so it just comes to mind. Um, but they're a great uh, band. That it's like reminds me of so much stuff that I grew up listening to, but in a, it's in a very not throwbacky way. It's just very uh, fresh and alive. There's a rapper named No Name, like all one word, who is fantastic. That I've gone into in the past year. Yeah, I think. I can hear the listeners right now scribbling these down as you're saying them. Uh, yeah, those those are ones that come to mind. Um, I don't know, man. I, I got on a pavement kick the other day. If you've never listened to Pavement, um, amazing band. I, I love Pavement. Uh, yeah, and I it was one of those bands that I slept on for a long time, and then finally listened to and really, really love it. Um, so yeah, maybe check out Pavement. Awesome. Dustin, I can't thank you enough for your time to come on the podcast for me. Three times is a dream come true. And I hope, you know, we'll make it happen again when you're here for 2000 Trees. Um, Horizons East is an unbelievable album. And I was talking to my friend Darren the other day. One thing you've given me is your music and your songwriting. And when everything's shit in the world and COVID happened and people have been ill and everything else, the one thing that has always been there is music. And it's hard because you are the guy that gives it. But I hope you understand how much you do for everyone via your music. I know it's hard to hear, but it's true. You need to realize that you change people's lives with your songwriting, your lyrics, and it's really important that you realize just how much we all appreciate what you do. Thank you very much. No, it's it's uh, it's good to hear because sometimes it can feel frivolous, um, but I know that that's not true. So, um, yeah, it, it's... I take it seriously and I, I really value that it uh, seriously matters to people. So. I, I can't thank you enough, dude, honestly. Cool. Thank you so much. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the absolute genius Dustin Kensrue. What an amazing interview. He goes into so much detail about the new album and I really hope by this point you've listened to it. It is so good. For me personally, the opening track, The Colour of the Sky, has everything I could wish for from a song. It has that pulling effect that you really adore from music and it will make you stick around for the rest of the album and go on a journey that you're not prepared for. It's absolutely incredible. But Robot Soft Exorcism is the song I've been singing in my head for the last few weeks and it has one of those choruses that will stay with you for ages and ages. It really is a work of art and I'm so thrilled at the response that I've seen so far today on the internet for this incredible album. I want to say a massive thank you for Dustin for coming on the show, not once, not twice, but for a third time. I really hope we can make it happen in person next year when the band are playing 2000 Trees Festival and headlining. It's going to be absolutely incredible to see Thrice again live and I really can't wait to see that in the UK next year. And if you haven't got a ticket, go and do it because it's one of the best UK festivals out there. I also want to say a massive thank you to Hayley from the Good As Gold group for making this interview happen. I love you so much and you keep bringing me the best interviews out there and I am so grateful and I owe you so many beers at festivals in the future. I really hope everyone's enjoyed today's interview and if you have and you're new to Mark and Me, please go on markandme.com because on there there's links to my Facebook page, my Twitter account and my Instagram and if you want you can drop me an email. I personally make sure I reply to every single message that I ever receive and it means the absolute world so please do. If you really loved today's episode, please share it across your networks. Go on Facebook and hit that share button. Share it on your Twitter or your Instagram stories. It makes a massive difference and brings a whole new audience to the podcast. And it's the best way that I can market this thing. Please go ahead and do that if you've enjoyed today's episode because it really does make that much difference. And if you've really enjoyed today's episode, I do have a Patreon account. None of the money that I make on there actually goes to me. It means I can fund the podcast, go and do interviews all across the country and host it on accounts like Spotify, Amazon Music, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts and as many as I can. 
I really appreciate it and as a way of saying thank you, every single month I've got incredible prizes to give away. Sometimes signed items from the guests, sometimes some incredible posters from Vice Press and also some incredible t-shirts from Last Exit to Nowhere. I try and get the best prizes I can as a reward for saying thank you for supporting me. And also I want to give a shout out to the guys on the Thrice fan community in exile. They're such a great bunch of guys and they've been really supportive knowing that I'm doing this interview and I can't wait for you guys to listen and I hope I've done you all proud. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode. Like I said for the last couple of weeks, September's my busiest month and my favourite month. I've got such a variety of guests coming up and it's not slowing down anytime soon. So in the meantime, look after yourself, listen to Thrice and I'll speak to you all again very soon. Blessed